Thank you for being here. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, we're getting into that time of year. Thanksgiving, we're starting to make our plans. How many of you have already shopped for your turkeys and stuffing and potatoes and sweet potatoes and more sweet potatoes apparently for Bob? Um, <laughs> So if you're looking for a Christmas gift for Bob, you know, uh, just a case of yams that he can, uh, that he can have, right? Candy. Candy yams, there we go. Um, well, Renee can candy them for you. And, oh, she doesn't like them, okay, good. <laughs> Isn't that always the way it is, right? Um, well, I wanna share something uh, this morning that I am thankful for, personally. Um, it was 26 years ago today that Wendy and I had our first date. We went to dinner to a restaurant she probably would never go to now, because it was a seafood restaurant. Um, and we went to see a play down in Baltimore with a bunch of our friends. And 26 years is actually half my life now. Um, so I have, I have been with Wendy for half my life, uh, and it has been a great half-life. Uh, <laughs> And we've had a lot of, a lot of experiences. We've had uh, three homes since we got married. We actually bought our first home um, the year before we got married, and I lived there, and Wendy lived still with her parents until we got married. And uh, then uh, after uh, Tom was born, we decided we wanted more space and, and better schools than where we lived, so we moved up to uh, Red Lion, Pennsylvania, uh, and lived there for, for quite a while, and then uh, when we got called to pastor our former church, we moved up to Dillsburg, and that's where we are now. Um, when we moved to Dillsburg, we uh, decided that instead of using our dining room for a dining room, uh, we were gonna turn that into my office, uh, because we, we counted the number of times that we actually used our dining room, the for, you know, that formal dining room with the hutch and the set and everything, and probably six times in the 15 years or so that we had been married had we had, and it was all Thanksgiving dinner um, or Christmas dinner when we uh, would have family over, but most of the time we, we didn't use it and it would just become a repository for books and things anyway. Uh, so we turned it into my office. Uh, we had a spare bedroom, but uh, we wanted to keep that for our, our guests, our visitors, and we've had maybe one or two of those um, <laughs> in the 15 years that we've been married. Um, well, 20 years now, 21 years. Um, but uh, last week I was doing some, uh, some classwork. I'm taking a, a Brethren in Christ class, um, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm trying to read this book. And... Uh, the only light I have in, in the dining room is the, is the dining room lights. You know, they usually have the little chandelier with the tiny little candelabra things. And uh, I realized I, I couldn't read the book. I didn't have enough light because I'm old. Um, so I went down in the basement to see what we had, and I found this old floor lamp that we had. And it's one of those, uh, like, torch lamps at the top, and then it has a little spotlight um, uh, kind of on the side. And I set that up, and I shined it right on the book, and finally I could see. Um, and, uh, you know, Wendy and I kind of talked about it, and we said, uh, yeah, dining rooms really weren't meant for reading, weren't meant for for working, they were meant for, for eating um, and, and, and hosting and things like that. And can't really read a book at a dining room table or you know, maybe we just have the dim light so that we don't have to see the food if it's like burnt or anything. But you know, 
I needed that light. I needed that lamp because it was appropriate for the purpose that I was using the room for. And now I had, you know, this option of where to put the lamp and where to shine it, you know. But I also had options of what I could use. I could have used a candle. Uh, Wendy has tons of candles, but, you know, that wouldn't really have given me a lot of light. Uh, it would have smelled really good, but it wouldn't have given me a lot of light. Um, could have used a flashlight, but uh, then I would be, you know, using just one hand and, and I'm typing over here and couldn't use that. I could have used my headlamp that I have for camping, but that would have just been ridiculous. Um, so I opted for this lamp because it was appropriate for what I needed it for. It lit up the whole room. It had the light where I could shine on whatever my work was, and uh, it gives me the light that I need. And it was it was a good option, a good light for uh, for that use. And I tell you that story because we're we're kind of moving on from the Beatitudes. We've spent a lot of weeks on the Beatitudes, um, and we're going to be moving on from there, but not too far. Uh, we're actually just going into the next couple of verses. Uh, that immediately follow uh, what Jesus told us in the Beatitudes. And those verses are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. And it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to actually swap these passages. I'm going to talk about uh, being the light of the world first. Uh, this week and then next week we're going to look at being the salt of the earth. Uh, but I think the idea of being light to the world is one that, that most churches really kind of like grab onto. It's one of those, it's almost one of those bumper sticker catchphrase kinds of things. You can put it on the back of your car and everybody can know you're a Christian. I'm the light of the world. Um, I mean, even Morning Hour Chapel, our, our mission statement is striving to be the light of Christ in our community. And I wonder, and we have a lot of new people, uh, a lot of new people since even I started, and I wonder, first of all, if we were aware of what our mission statement was, but even more, are we aware of what it means? What does it mean to be the light of Christ, and how do we shine that light on our community? And the book of John talks about Jesus, and he says that Jesus is light. And he says this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in John 8, 12, Jesus tells those who were following him, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in these two passages, we see light contrasted with darkness. And it seems like darkness in, in this particular case isn't really a good thing. Jesus says, whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And if life is indicated by light, what does darkness stand for? It stands for sin and death. 
And think about the things that happen in the dark. Serious crimes happen in the dark. Most often, things like drunk driving, robbery, assault, rape, murder, all of these things most often happen in the darkness or in the secret. You don't want people to see you doing these things. And they happen in the darkness because committing these crimes is bound to get you in trouble. So we do those things in darkness. Jesus came to shine a light into the darkness of sin, to expose it for what it is. It's the giver of death to God's creation. The darkness is the giver of death to us. Now we also sleep in darkness. How many of you cannot sleep unless it's absolutely dark in your room? Right? I, I get to the point sometimes even, you know, that I have to like cover up the, the, the clock or whatever because it's just, it's too much light coming over uh, and, and shining in my face. Or when the full moon is out and it shines right in your window and it feels like morning, I got to go over and close the, uh, close the, the blinds. But we sleep in the, in, in the darkness and most people think that's a good thing. But in the film Journey to the Center of the Earth. Anybody ever see Journey to the Center of the Earth? There's a character that says something like this. He says, I don't sleep. I hate those little slashes of death. And I thought that was kind of interesting, this idea of sleep as little slashes of death. Because when we sleep, we're in darkness. When we're, when we're sleeping, we're not always, obviously we're not aware of what's going on around us. Other things can be happening while we're asleep. And while physical sleep is, is often restorative, because um, even Jesus slept, right? Even in the back of a boat during a storm, Jesus has taken a nap. But Jesus is talking here about spiritual sleep. And spiritual sleep is done in the darkness of sin, and it leads to death. And that's why Jesus warns us in Mark chapter 13 to stay awake, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, even in church. Stay awake. <laughs> now, Again, Jesus isn't talking about physically staying awake. He is talking about staying awake spiritually. He is warning his disciples that we can't give in to this sleep, to this darkness of sin. We must always be on guard. We must stay awake. Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world. And this means that, that we are to be life to the world. And if we're asleep, we can't 
be light and life. See, we should be constantly showing the world what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we have to do that by practicing those things that we learned about in the Beatitudes, right? To be poor in spirit and to be uh, meek and to be mournful of our sin and to practice mercy. All of those things are the things that we should constantly be doing to shine our light to our community. And we're not supposed to hide that light. Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Like this city in India, and I know it's really bright in here and you can't really tell because this is really cool looking in the dark. Um, but this, this, this city, you're not ever going to miss this city unless the power goes out and all the lights are out. This is the kind of city Jesus is talking about. This is the kind of light that we're supposed to be showing all the time, constantly. It's this light that cannot be missed. We need to show our light. And Jesus then tells us that a person, not just a city, but a person won't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Now, while this is a really pretty picture, it's not given a whole lot of light to the room. And Jesus is saying to do so, to put that lamp under a basket, would be absurd. You don't, you don't do that. You light the lamp so that everybody can see by the light. And it all seems so obvious when it comes to talking about actual lights. We look at this picture, we look at this picture, and we, we can see that. And that's what Jesus wants. Jesus is being obvious. Jesus is talking about things that we know about so that he can tell us how we are supposed to live as his disciples. And being the light of the world is the Christian's primary responsibility. Shining his light in the darkness of a world that is full of sin and full of evil is crucial it is crucial if we are to see dead souls brought to life through repentance. And yet so many times we hide his light. Why do we hide the light of Christ after we've come to faith in him? Something that might cause us to hide our light is shyness. Any shy people in here? I know you're not going to raise your hands because you're too shy. Sometimes this shyness is born out of fear. We don't want to deal with the consequences of shining the light of Christ at work or in our community. We just want to kind of be wallflowers and let things happen. And, and we're going to be nice to people, but we're not going to talk about it and we're not going to make a big deal out of it. But sometimes the shyness comes from a different idea. Sometimes the shyness comes from this idea that we simply are not capable of sharing the light of Jesus. We just can't do it. His, his message is too important, and we got to leave it to people who can really, really share it well because we'll screw it up. We don't want to mess anything up. 
I don't want to say anything that might hurt somebody's chances of being saved. Well, guess what? You're not going to hurt anybody's chances of being saved because it's not your words that save people. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that works in people to save them. Now, this shyness can be really hard to overcome, and, and most of the apostles were kind of shy. They didn't see themselves as public speakers. And even when Jesus uh, sent them uh, to minister and to cast out demons, they were so shocked that it happened, and then like soon after it happened, they got shy again. They still didn't want to go out there and put themselves out there. They didn't see themselves as theologians. They didn't see themselves as preachers. They didn't see themselves as speakers. Even though they had walked with Jesus for three years. And he taught them everything they needed to know. And he promised them the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. But still, when Jesus was arrested, what does the Bible tell us? They all ran away. They all ran away out of fear because they didn't want to get in trouble for knowing Jesus. And Peter, Peter was, was the worst offender of all. Peter actually followed Jesus around in his trial. And when people came up to him and said, hey, I know you, you were with Jesus, Peter three times said, no, I'm not. I have no idea who that is. What are you talking about? And isn't that what we do? Oh, are you a Christian? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I go to church on Sundays. I don't want to, I, I like to talk about it. Well, we're at work, we can't talk about it right now. Instead of saying something like, oh, well, we're at work, we can't talk about it right now, but let's go for dinner after work. Talk to you all about it. And we don't do that. But there's an amazing thing that happens in Acts chapter 2. And Peter is kind of like the main person in this story. In Acts chapter 2, we read this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from a heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And just after that happened, all 120 people who were in that room left the room. They went out into the streets where all of the people were, and they were a little less shy. They were looking at thousands and thousands of people who were in Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost. Thousands of them. There are some historians that say Pentecost, Jerusalem was more populated at Pentecost than it was during the Passover. 
So many people there. We find Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt in the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. That's people from all over the world in one place on one day and they experience 120 people coming out and they said we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God not only had they overcome their shyness because of the power of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit gave them the words to say not even in their own language. And then Peter, the same Peter who 50 days before would not even acknowledge that he knew who Jesus was, got up and preached a sermon that resulted in about 3,000 people professing faith in Jesus Christ. Three thousand people in one day that is the power of the Holy Spirit that is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and it is the same power that lives in you if you profess Jesus Christ and he is going to let you get over your shyness he will give you the words to say. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. What Jesus tells us. Now Jesus was talking to his disciples about being hauled in in front of the authorities, in front of kings, in front of governors, in front of priests, in front of all of these powerful people who had the power to kill them if they wanted to. Jesus said, you're going to get power to speak in that hour about me. And if Jesus will give somebody power to speak in front of somebody who has the power to kill them for their faith, he can give us power to speak to a friend over a cup of coffee. He can and he will. Shyness is one way that we hide the light of Christ, but sadly, more often, we don't cover the light of Christ because of a lack of boldness, but because of a lack of righteousness. In other words, we hide the light of Christ because of our sin. Now, we have to understand the light of Christ, the light of Christ itself cannot be extinguished. According to John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But individually, 
Just like Jesus tells us that we can hide our light under a basket. The biggest basket we can hide our light under is sin. Especially sin that is committed against other people. We sin through bitterness. We sin through unforgiveness. When we're sinned against, our human sinful nature tells us, hold a grudge. Be angry. And that anger turns to bitterness, and that bitterness turns into no forgiveness for that person, no mercy for that person. We become unmerciful. The exact opposite of what Jesus told us we should be as his disciples. I read a quote this week from Dorothy Day, who was, uh, some say was considered a radical Catholic, the most radical Catholic who ever lived. And Day was deeply involved in working toward justice for all people. And Dorothy Day is quoted as saying this. See if you agree with this. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Let me read that again. I only really love God as much as I love the person I love the least. If you hate people, you don't have the love of God. 1 John 4.20-21 says that. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Jesus tells us, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The sins of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness are huge baskets hiding the light of Christ. Huge. Another sin that covers over the light of Jesus is pride, self-centeredness, egotism, conceit. We focus on ourselves rather than we focus on other people. We want what's good for us instead of what's good for other people. Because we're certain sometimes, aren't we, that ours is the only way to do things or ours is the only life that's really important. And if we have never said that to ourselves and if you think you've never said it, you should probably think harder. Because I know in my own life, there have been many times when I have said, my life is more important. My family's life is more important than anybody else's. And that's a human thing to do. It's a compassionate thing to want to care for our families. But if we do that at the expense of hating another person, that's sin. The final sin that covers the light of Christ is the causing of strife. It's the way they put it in the Bible, particularly among fellow Christians. 2 Timothy 2.14 says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. 
When we quarrel among ourselves in the church, we ruin the hearers. We ruin the people who would come and learn of the grace and mercy of God. We're not reflecting the light of Christ when we quarrel amongst ourselves. And we see evidence of this every time a church splits, every time a denomination speaks out publicly against another denomination's doctrine that is not really central to the faith of Jesus Christ. We just don't like the way they're doing it. Let me give you an example. This is one that I have some experience with. There have been churches that have been split over the doctrine of baptism. Not that baptism should or shouldn't be done, but how it should be done. Do we sprinkle? Do we pour the water over their heads? Do we dunk them down and hold them until they get saved? What do we do? <laughs> Took you a second, but you got it. And the thing is that one church will tell another church, well, you really weren't baptized. You got to get baptized again our way. Folks, baptism isn't baptism because you do it a certain way. Baptism is baptism because of your attitude. It is because you recognize that as a Christian, you should be baptized. Jesus was baptized. He gave us that example. Now here at Morning Hour Chapel, um, I have not personally done a baptism here, but I understand we do it in a swimming pool and people are submersed. That's usually the way brethren in Christ do it. We're called dunkers. I don't know why. But I'm going to tell you something. If you came to me and said that you wanted to be baptized, but you have a deathly fear of water and being in a pool, I'll sprinkle you. I'll pour a little bit of water over your head. You'll still be baptized. Because it's not how I do it. It's your attitude that you know that as a Christian, you ought to be baptized. And incidentally, if any of you are Christians and have not yet been baptized, we're going to arrange for a baptism uh, when the weather gets a little warmer. Um, and I want you to talk to me about it. But we hide the light of Christ when we fight amongst ourselves over things that don't truly matter to our discipleship. And this church infighting is one of those ways. I have a bonus way for you that we hide our light. It's our attitude about life. When Christians don't display joy, we're hiding the light of Christ. Now, that's not to say that we can't mourn. That's not to say that we can't be sad. I'm not talking about the emotion. I'm talking about the joy that's supposed to well up in us because we know the grace and the mercy of God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ have experienced the single most joyous thing they will ever experience in their lives. The forgiveness of our Creator for our sin against Him. It's forgiveness that we don't deserve, and we've talked about this. We don't deserve it. It's not forgiveness that we could earn. 
Each of us stand guilty in front of God the Father. We are. We stand guilty. We have absolutely nothing to lodge as a defense. We have absolutely nothing that we can pay him. We are guilty. Tell me if you've ever thought about this. When we confess our sins to God, there is nothing that requires him to show mercy. If we stand before God the Father and we confess our sins, there is nothing that requires him to keep us from eternal death. It is only because of God's love. It's only because of God's grace and God's mercy that he grants us a full pardon. A full pardon. And not only that, not only that, not only does he pardon us, not only does he bang his gavel and say, not guilty. Your sins are forgiven. And I love that the kids are coming in right now. Because God adopts us into his family. That's what he does. One of the most common themes throughout all of Scripture is God's love and concern for orphans and widows. For people who don't have families. Deuteronomy 10.18 says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. James 1.27 says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And Psalm 68 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. When we confess our sins to God, the Holy Spirit lives in us and we get to live with the Father. We become God's children. We inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus has been telling us this whole time we inherit the kingdom of God. How can we experience adoption into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, and not be joyous? How is it possible? And yet we fret and we complain and we walk around thinking that we must be serious Christians. Like we just brushed our teeth and then drank orange juice. Hmm. I'm a serious Christian. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When we hide our joy in Christ, we are hiding the light of Christ. This is our mission statement. Morning Hour Chapel is striving to be the light of Christ in our community. I want to urge you and I want to invite you. Let us purpose together 
to confess our sins, to love our neighbors, to walk humbly but not shyly, humbly before the world. Let us seek justice for the fatherless, the widow, anyone who sees injustice thrust upon them. Amen. He knows what I'm talking about. We ought to seek peace with everyone, especially people in our Christian families. And let us do all of this in a spirit of joy. A joy that passes all understanding is what the Bible tells us. We can't even understand it. It's absolutely incomprehensible. It's mind-blowing. The joy that we should be experiencing. It's a joy that those who remain without God cannot help but see in us. And when they see it in us, they're going to be curious about how we can be so joyous what is this joy that I see in you? And you can tell them. You can tell them about that joy. Morning Hour Chapel, let us be the light of Christ. Let us shine the way to God the Father so that people might know His grace and His mercy and His love and His joy would you pray with me heavenly father we thank you so much for today we thank you for all that you have given us we thank you mostly and always for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness father forgive us for not shining the light of christ forgive us for the sins of Shyness, forgive us for the sins of selfishness, bitterness, unforgiveness. Forgive us for not showing the world the joy of Christ. Make us into a congregation that is truly striving to shine the light of Christ in this community and in our communities, in our work, in our schools, wherever we are. Let people see our joy and ask about it. And then give us the words in that hour to tell them about Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I apologize, I know that I've only been here for two years, but you probably did not realize that your pastor is a fool for Christ. <laughs> I will dance. I will be even more undignified than this to show my praise to God. That is what King David said when he was dancing down the street and his wife told him he should be ashamed of himself. We should not be ashamed of ourselves. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us freedom, that brings us life.
I hope that you felt even the tiniest bit of that joy this morning. I don't know about you, man, but <laughs> right here, he is. Yeah, go, go, go. He's feeling the joy. Take that joy with you. Show it to the world. That is being the light of Christ in our community. God bless you this week.